The Beijing Winter Olympics begin today, and the customary fanfare has been muted due to COVID complications and a series of geopolitical tensions. The market had a good week, regaining some of the territory lost in mid-January, and Google parent company Alphabet announced a 20-for-1 stock split reviving a once-dormant practice after similar moves by Apple and Tesla. These moves are intended to make individual shares more appealing to retail investors. In this edition of Commerce Code, Selling to the Chinese Consumer, a conversation with Rick Parada of Rebates Me. Dan Carell here, and this is Commerce Code, brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for insights into the evolving world of digital commerce. The Wall Street Journal reported this week that commercial real estate sales hit a record value of $809 billion in the U.S. last year, more than double the 2020 number, and $200 billion more than the next biggest year on record, which was 2019. That big number was driven by widespread expectation of sustained changes in how we work and live. And among the big property categories was warehouse space, anticipating sustained growth in e-commerce and all the supply and logistics that go with it. Today's conversation supports the bet that online commerce has plenty of headroom because it's not just about American companies selling to U.S. consumers or European companies selling to European consumers. Cross-border trade has plenty of opportunity. And today we'll focus on the trans-Pacific retail trade, that is, selling to Chinese consumers online from the U.S. or Europe. Today on the show, we're talking with Rick Parada of RebatesMe. RebatesMe is a global cashback website partnering with over 3,000 stores worldwide, and it is fully functional in English, Chinese, and Korean. Rick, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this episode of Commerce Code. Where are you joining us from? Pasadena, California, uh, one of our locations. Sunny Pasadena. RebatesMe has such an interesting multinational business, and we're going to focus in our conversation today a bit on China. Let's just start right with this. Why are Chinese consumers buying cross-border, and where are they specifically buying from? I believe it falls mainly into four categories. The first category being the most important one, I think, is health and safety concerns. The Chinese consumers really cares about health and safety the cross-border shopping really got kicked off in 2008 and 2009 due to the malamine scares in China. So the moms of China, they really took the lead in overseas shopping. They were looking for baby formula in the U.S., in New Zealand, and Australia. And along the way, as they bought baby formula, they saw Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, they saw high heels, bags, makeup. And so they started to purchase those things across border overseas. And it hasn't stopped since then. I would say the second reason is the breadth of product, the number of SKUs that are available here in the U.S. One of the other main reasons, of course, and that, you know, I think this is, doesn't only apply to the Chinese consumer, but is price. Chinese consumers are very cost conscious, but they're also very deal conscious. I think there's a difference there. We see a lot of Chinese traffic to sites like RebatesMe that has localized for the Chinese consumer. A number of U.S. products in China do have a markup. They have to take in consideration the logistics, marketing, operating costs in China. And a lot of times those are passed down to the product. And I would say one of the final main reasons is due to authenticity, right? Chinese consumers are very cautious, even when they're buying at a real brick and mortar store in China. Some are so skeptical about that the only way they would know for sure is if they actually did buy overseas at the real store. Some of what you've said 
absolutely applies to other countries that I can think of and other cultures I can think of. A good deal of what you've just said also is very specific, I think, to the Chinese consumer and their experience. And it just, for me, highlights the importance of cultural understanding in a business like this. It's so central to your success. Exactly. Localization is the key, I believe. So we started with why, okay, and I really love just so many aspects of the answer. There's an important thing, I think, for our audience, too, though, which is how, right? So how do Chinese consumers purchase cross-border? This is, you've mentioned some of the stuff, but I'd love to hear a little bit more because I think it's complicated. I would say about 99% of e-commerce is accessible through the internet from China. You know, you always hear about the great firewall blocking sites. I can't think of one e-commerce or one merchant that has been blocked. And most transactions that happen are paid with an international credit card by the Chinese consumer. This leads to another question that I get a lot. A lot of merchants say, we don't ship to China. I'm saying, great, you don't have to ship to China. Most Chinese nationals, actually, they prefer to use a freight forwarder to ship back to China instead of FedEx or DHL. Those are a lot more expensive. So a freight forwarder is just a shipping company. Miss Lu from Shanghai, she wants a pair of shoes. They'll give her an address, 123 Main Street, box number 456 in Portland, Oregon. That's the address she'll use when she checks out at a merchant here in the U.S. Once it gets to that logistic company, they'll say, okay, box number 456 belongs to Miss Lu. She lives at 123 Weihai Lu Street in Shanghai. Let's forward it off. And usually the process takes about eight to 10 days. So, you know, it's funny, a lot of times, a lot of brands don't even know that their product is going to go to China because usually it's going to get shipped to a U.S. address. I honestly didn't know that story that you just told. It makes complete sense. So then the world has been different for the last, uh, I hate to say it, but almost two years. How has this behavior changed in the last two years? Yeah, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a surge in online shopping. I think that was just across the board. Streaming services, online educational services. But in online shopping, we saw all the categories rise, but especially in health and supplements, fitness and apparel. It all made sense, right? Because everybody's going to be stuck in their home. They want to watch movies, maybe work out, stock up on vitamin D, right? So as time went on, the Chinese consumer had the same problems as the American consumer due to the logistic issue. There's just no way around it, right? So things did slow down. And now, you know, we do see a very slight slowdown due to the headwinds that we're all facing. Inflation, logistic issues, COVID variants. But you have to remember that the Chinese middle class is around 400 million people and they have an insatiable desire for U.S. goods. So that hasn't put the dampers on things too much. That's a pretty big market, to say the least. So from your vantage point, and you do this every day, how can American companies engage that huge consumer base, that middle class base and, and above in China? And what are sort of the main benefits of doing that? Yeah, like I mentioned, the Chinese market by far is the biggest opportunity thing, I think, for American brands. We've seen incredible high AOVs, which stands for average order values. When the Chinese consumers purchase, they purchase in bulk a lot of times. Those shoppers are very loyal to brands. And we think that sites like ourselves, like Rebates Me, is an easy way for a brand to get in front of the Chinese consumer. We already have, you know, a portion of our audience is Chinese. We promote the brand in Chinese social media on Weibo, on 
WeChat. We even do the customer support sometimes. Like I mentioned, brands can partner up with sites like ourselves and we can take it from there. Since we work through the affiliate marketing channel, it's very easy just to push out an offer and for us to promote it. You know, a number of brands might even say, well, I don't have Chinese consumers. Like I said, sometimes the products get shipped to the United States. So I would encourage them, look in the back end, right? If you see email addresses your consumers are signing up with at 163.com, at 123.com, at qq.com, these are all big email providers in China. 99% of the time, those are Chinese consumers that are in your database. They're living in China or they're Chinese citizens living here in America. That is great, specific, actionable advice uh, for everybody. I love it. You, we dove in right off the bat on the Chinese consumer and just because your area of expertise, Rick, is, is so great there. Would love to just step back and close with, just tell us a story. How did Rebates Me get started and what's the basic, basic business? Basic business, we're a cashback coupon site. And the company was started in 2013 by Daniel Dai, who is Chinese. I met Daniel when he worked for PayPal China. He was in charge of the cross-border business. I was a general manager for a company in Shanghai called Extrabucks. That was also another cashback site. Daniel was like my first friend. He worked at PayPal. He eventually left because, you know, the issues that PayPal was facing, localizing to the Chinese consumer. And he started this business. And about four years later, I joined him as the president. Great. It has been a really fun conversation, a lot more that we could unpack, and hopefully we can do it on a future podcast because there's so much more to talk about. Thank you so much, Rick, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Coming right up, closing thoughts on the past and future of demand in China. For those who haven't spent time there, one of the easiest things to miss about China is the rapid pace of change. Most fundamentally, it's the pace of economic growth, and that means growth in buying power. According to the World Bank, per capita income in China, accounting for purchasing power, is now $17,200. On the same measure, U.S. per capita GDP is now $63,000. That difference is stark, but as Rick mentioned, the Chinese middle class is over 400 million people, so it's 25% bigger than the whole U.S. population, or about the same size as the entire EU. In total terms, China's economy is either a bit smaller or a bit bigger than the U.S., depending on whether you adjust for purchasing power. But the current size of China's economy, which gets talked about a fair bit, isn't at all what matters. The pace of change is the thing here. Let me tell you that story through the lens of the Olympics. China's first bid to host an Olympic Games was actually for the 2000 Games, which ultimately went to Sydney. When China put that bid in, in 1993, its per capita GDP was $1,400. The U.S. number was 18 times that at 26000 By 2000, when China again submitted a bid to host the Summer Olympics, its per capita GDP had doubled from $1,400 to $2,900, That bid was successful, and when China hosted the Summer Games in 2008, its per capita GDP had increased by 250% to $7,500. In 2015, China was selected to host these Olympics, and by that time, its per capita GDP had nearly doubled again since 2008 to 13,000. And from 2015 to now, China's economy grew another 32% to $17,200 per person. When China's Olympics story started in 1993, U.S. per capita GDP was 18 times that of China. Now it's 3.6 times. 
It's typical for Americans and Europeans to recall that in their youth, they didn't have some of the conveniences their children now have. But in a sense, even that claim is a bit of a stretch. I'm no connoisseur of dishwashers, but I'm not sure the one we have now is any better than the one I grew up with, and I have a suspicion that it might be worse. Now, we did have more primitive video games. Oh, who am I kidding? My mother would never have allowed us to have video games. Our neighbor had more primitive video games. Man, was that Atari cool. But in China, a middle-aged, middle-class person in 2022 wasn't middle-class growing up because there effectively wasn't a middle class. In 1980, when today's 50-year-olds were in elementary school, annual per capita income in China was $194. That's 53 cents a day. The U.S. number was 64 times bigger than that at 12,500. The Russian number in 1980 was 10 times bigger. So well within the life experience of today's middle-aged Chinese consumer, nearly everyone lived on 50 cents a day. In daily life, appliances and video games and nearly every other consumer product didn't exist in practice. Since then, China became the leading producer of those things and then became among the leading consumers of those things. That consumption is what today's conversation was about, but I think it's important to keep in mind how new that phenomenon is and how fast it changed and continues to change. There's a lot more that could be said about what all of that means for China's culture, its retail sector, expectations for the future. But even the basic statistics are worth remembering and pretty amazing. To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website, www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself and take care of each other. God bless. This is Dan Carell, signing off.